uh, to 1 Corinthians 15. We are almost done with 1 Corinthians, but we're, today we're going to be in chapter 15, and we're only going to look at three verses, but these three verses, I believe, are very important for us to understand. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for these words. Uh, Thank you for this hope, this living hope that we just sang about. Lord, a few weeks ago when we looked previously in this passage, we were told that if Christ is not raised, then we are to be pitied. (laughs) But Lord, praise God that he has been raised and is the first fruits of our resurrection. We love you, Lord. Help us to understand this in a more deep way than we ever have before. In Christ's name, amen. First fruits promise a harvest to come. Verse 20 says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I would like for us to thoroughly understand what the apostle is saying here. I believe this will help us understand the nature of our salvation. If you remember back a few weeks ago when we discussed the previous verses, Paul was saying that if Christ has not been raised, then we are above all men to be pitied. Now, why is that? Well, because if Christ was not raised, we are still dead in our trespasses and sins. If he was not raised, then we will not be raised. If Jesus was not raised, then we who preach life and salvation in his name are leading people astray and misrepresenting God. But in verse 20... Paul writes that, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And if you recall, a few weeks ago, he also says that there are more than 500 witnesses who saw Christ after his resurrection. And so Paul is saying, in effect here, guys, if you don't believe me, you can go talk to the other 500 people. He says most of them are still alive today. So Paul is writing about something that was witnessed by hundreds and hundreds of people And he's saying, hey, those guys are still around. Go talk to one of them. When God raised him from the dead, he validated everything that Jesus ever did or said. You know, there are three things that are possible about the man named Jesus. One is that he was, is my mic on? Is my mic on now? How are we doing, Danny? All right, there we go. All right. So there are three things that are possible. One is Jesus was a liar. He intended to deceive the people around him. He went around making claims that were not accurate and that were not true because he intended to deceive people. Now that is a theoretical possibility. The next possibility is that he meant well, but he was insane. He was crazy. He thought he was God incarnate. He thought he was the son of God. 
but in fact he was deranged and mentally ill. The third possibility is that he is who he said he was, and that he was the Son of God and is the Son of God. Now, how do we know which one of those three is correct? (laughs) Well, we know because of the resurrection. God validated in Christ everything he ever said or did by raising him from the dead. God also declared through the resurrection that the sacrifice that Jesus made was sufficient and was accepted. Jesus is the first fruits of those who will experience resurrection later on. The first fruits were the indication that there was going to be a harvest coming. You know, in the Old Testament, the first fruits were to be given to God to thank Him for the harvest. They were a foretaste of things to come. Now, this is not a sermon on giving, but let me just point out that God then and now expects that we are to give our first and our best to God and to the work of the kingdom, not what happens to be left over at the end of the month. That's why the Israelites gave their first fruits, and we are also supposed to give our first and our best. Verse 20 calls Jesus the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In light of the resurrection, death can now be spoken of as falling asleep. Death has not finally and fully been put away yet, but for the believer, the sting has been removed. We who are in Christ need not fear death the same way that people outside of Christ fear death. Now, I get that not many of us are looking forward to it, right? But it has been robbed of its terror now. The reason is that our forerunner, the first fruits of our resurrection, have already come in, indicating that we too will follow him in resurrection someday. So the Christian can rightly think of death as sleep, because sleep is only temporary, like the death of a saint. Next, I want us to see that the first Adam brought death. Verse 21 and 22 say, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Let's explore this parallel for a minute. How did death come by a man? In the Garden of Eden, Adam made a choice to place his faith in the word of the serpent rather than in the word of his creator. Let's take a quick look in Genesis chapter 3. Verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now Satan has a a way of... uh, dealing with us with the word of God and it hasn't changed since creation Uh, the first thing he does is he questions the word of God he said did he did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden now he knew that's not what God said (laughs) but he's messing with her mind and he's twisting scripture and and attacking scripture he mischaracterizes it he says you shall not eat of any tree in the garden See, Satan loses if you bring your questions, if he makes you question the word and you bring your questions to the word, then Satan loses that battle because the word of God is perfect and reliable and can withstand scrutiny and can withstand honest questions. 
And so, guys, if you're here and you have questions every now and then, you have little, uh, you know, waivers in your faith, if that causes you to stay away from the Word, Satan wins. If it drives you to the Word to explore the reliability of the Word, then Satan will lose because the Word of God is reliable and can stand up under any honest scrutiny. But he questions the word, and he gets her to question the word. In verse 2, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, do you think he said, Neither shall you touch it? We don't have an account of him saying, Neither shall you touch it. So maybe that was just left out, and maybe he actually did say that. I don't know. Or the other option is maybe Eve is adding a little something to what he said. I'm not really sure. But she gets the heart of it right. She says, hey, it's just this one tree that we're not supposed to mess with. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. See, Satan first questions the word of God, then he contradicts the word of God. Verse 5, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You know, uh, sometimes I hear people talk about Satan's temptations as if they're not really uh, provocative, but they are. Satan is not so stupid as to go fishing with a bare hook, right? He puts bait on the hook. And so what he's saying to Eve is, hey, this will make you better. This will make you enlightened. This will make you like God. It will make you autonomous. And autonomy is the ultimate thing for Americans these days. We, want to not, we can't be told what we're supposed to do in any, in any regard. We can't be told we're male or female anymore, you know? We can't be told whether we're supposed to marry a man or a woman. Um, we, we can't uh, put on the census whether we're a citizen or whether we're male or female because that's too restrictive. I mean, autonomy is something that we desire in our sinfulness. And Satan is saying, hey, you can be autonomous if you will just rebel against God. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6, so when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise... She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. God said, don't eat of it or you'll die. The serpent said, eat of it and you'll be like God. Adam and Eve chose to put their faith in the serpent rather than God. They hadn't experienced it yet. They didn't know which was true. God said this, the serpent said this, and they go, huh, I think I'll believe the serpent. I know that you may be thinking that you weren't there and that you didn't do it. I understand where you're coming from, but really, in a way, you were there in Adam. Biologically, you were there in Adam. All the DNA of the human race was there in our first parents. You were quite literally in Adam. Also, Adam and Eve were the only humans around, and they were our representative heads. If we were to go to war with North Korea tomorrow, it wouldn't be your fault or my fault, right? I mean, I can't provoke North Korea to start fighting with us. But it would be our representative head that would get us into that fight. It would be the President of the United States and the Congress of the United States. Would you be immune to the consequences, though, just because you didn't start it? 
No, we wouldn't be immune to the consequences. We'd be at war. And if they had any missiles that could come hit us, we'd be, <laughs> we'd be targets, right? So when our administrative head gets us into a situation, we're in that situation whether we like it or not. That's what Adam and Eve did for us. They chose to put their faith in the serpent on our behalf. Now, before we become too sanctimonious about that, though, let's realize that every time that we sin and rebel against God, we ratify the decision that they made. So I know sometimes it's tempting for us to think, man, we wouldn't have done that. And when we read about the, the constant rebellion of the people in the Old Testament, we think, gosh, how thick are they? How hard-headed are they? Why do they keep doing this? But I think if they were here and they saw us and they said, Guys, Christ has come, he has sacrificed on your behalf, and, and then he told you he's given you the ministry of reconciliation and you're not doing it. I think they would be amazed at us, right? We're going to fix that, though. We're going to fix that around here. When you know what is right and what you're supposed to do, but you say, I'm not going to do it, I'm going to do what's wrong anyway, You may not be listening to the serpent rather than God, but we are, when we do that, listening to ourselves rather than God, right? It's really an astonishing level of arrogance for us to understand God's will and yet rebel against it because we have a better idea, isn't it? Now, I'm not just looking at you. I do it too. It's, It's still amazing to me, though. I often want to say with the Apostle Paul, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Don't you feel that way? So the bad news is that you and I were in Adam. Adam sinned and was cursed, and that curse has been passed down to us. Before the curse, mankind had unhindered union and fellowship with God. There was nothing in the way. There was just pure fellowship with God. After the curse, we run and hide from God just like our first parents did after their sin. Read with me a little more in Genesis 3, 7 to 10. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Now, can you imagine every previous day when Adam and Eve would hear the footsteps of God walking in the garden? It would fill them with joy and anticipation that they were about to fellowship with their creator. But on this day, it filled them with terror and they ran and they hid themselves because of their sin. In the New Testament, we see that man's fallen man's relationship to God is still the same way. Romans three ten through 12 says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So we are still in our fallen state, running from God. John three nineteen says, And this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light. Because their works are evil. This is the nature of mankind in Adam. We are naked, ashamed, and guilty before God. 
But oh, there's good news. The second Adam brings life. You were in Adam, like it or not. You get to choose whether you will be in Christ. For those in Christ, what do these verses say? Verse 21, back in 1 Corinthians 15. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Everything that we lost in Adam, we recover in Christ. You know, before the fall, mankind had unbroken, unhindered fellowship with God. After the resurrection, we who are in Christ will have that same kind of relationship with God. Before the fall, man was not burdened by sin or regret or failure or sickness. After the resurrection, we will be free from all of those effects of the fall. God, through the work of Jesus, is going to make everything that we messed up right again. That's amazing grace, isn't it? Fallen man is naked and ashamed before God. I don't mean just ashamed in the way that could be prevented with lots of diet and exercise. You know, you see those weird people on the beach that can actually wear, uh, you know, swimming trunks and still bend over and not have an avalanche of stuff happening, right? Uh, That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that kind of ashamed. I'm talking about the kind of ashamed that comes when we are laid bare and our sin is exposed. We are uncovered and known in all of our sin and guilt. Do you want to face judgment like that? You don't have to, because let me tell you again what you gain in Christ. Look with me in Isaiah 61.10. It'll be on on the board up there. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me in the garments of, with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. God in Christ has provided a way for you to be clothed in righteousness rather than naked and ashamed. We can approach the judgment seat in one of two ways. The first way is guilty. Naked, meaning our guilt cannot be hidden and it is visible to all. Without excuse and without an advocate. The second way is justified, clothed in the righteousness of Christ with Jesus as our advocate. 1 John 2, 1 says, My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. But Jesus is not only our advocate, he is our judge as well. Acts 17, 30 through 31 says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. God the Father will judge the world in righteousness by a man who he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Uh, I had jury duty last week. And so I'm up on my court etiquette. So let's say that at that judgment, uh, there, was a, there was the prosecution over here. And the prosecution brings evidence, and then they put it into, uh, into evidence, and the court admits it. So if I were there at my judgment, the prosecution could come and say, 
Let me tell you about the time that Steve lied on this day. Let me tell you about the time that he broke every one of these commandments. And that if you broke any of them, you broke all of them. And he could admit into evidence a million different things. (laughs) The evidence table would be just stacked up out of this room, okay, of things that I have done wrong. Sins, rebellions. You know, I could tell you a few of them, but there are ones I wouldn't, you couldn't pay me enough to tell you. Think in your life, are there sins you have committed that you would rather die than stand up here and tell the rest of us? I think that's probably the case for all of us. So there are little sins that are still huge because of our rebellion against our Creator. And then there are things that we'd sooner die than say in a room like this. All of this is evidence for the prosecution. Now we come over here, and for the lost man, that's it. There is no advocate. That is the one side of the story. But for those of us who are in Christ, over here is our advocate, our attorney. And so what Christ is going to say on my behalf is, all of that's true, but I have already paid his debt. I have taken care of his guilt. It is, it's true, it's a fact, but it's all been paid for by me. And then you know what the judge is going to say? Here's the amazing part. My lawyer is going to walk up here to the bench and put his robe on, and then my lawyer is going to judge me. And he's going to say, yeah, I did pay for that. I paid for every bit of that. And so he is not guilty. I want Catherine to come and share in music what the Word just shared with us. So, if you've never experienced that, if you've never experienced the removal of your guilt, you need to come talk to me today. We're going to stand and we're going to sing in just a moment. But let me tell you, the gospel is so beautiful that we need to take a look at it from different, different uh, we need to see different facets of it. And today I thought, we're only going to cover these three verses because I want us to see the beauty again of our salvation. And guys, that is what motivates us to say on November 16th, we're going to come here and we're going to learn to share this message and we're going to take it out to other people. They need to hear it, guys. Uh, I know we can sit back and we can say, well, if they had enough sense to come in out of the rain, they'd, they'd come in here and we'd tell them the gospel. They don't have enough sense to. They're dead. Okay, that's what lost people are, is dead in their trespasses and sins. They're not looking for God. We just talked about how they are fleeing from God, remember? That's, That's where they are. Guys, we can't wait on them to come in here. They're not looking for God. They're looking to run from God. We have to take that message of the gospel to them. So if you're here today and you're not certain that you're saved, come up and talk to me. If you're here today and you say, I'm visiting, I've been visiting this church, but I'm not actually a member. I want to become a member so that I can be accountable to this church and so that I can fully involve myself with this people and this mission. You come on up and we'll talk about how you can get started there. And the other thing is, if you'd like to come and pray with me, it'd be my honor to pray with you. So, Jimmy, will you come lead us?